Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. It's our last episode of the year ahead of the festive break and today we hear from Netflix head of global TV Bella Bajaria and senior members of the Disney Plus EMEA commissioning team including vice president of original production Liam Keelan. Netflix head of global TV Bella Bajaria was among the keynote interviews at C21's Content London earlier this month, narrowly managing to make the trip from the US for the sellout development market's return as an in-person event for the first time since the pandemic. Bajaria took up her post in 2020, overseeing all scripted and unscripted series for the streamer around the world, leading the teams responsible for hit series including Bridgerton, The Queen's Gambit, Lupin and Cobra Kai. Previously, she oversaw local language originals, managing those behind shows like La Casa de Papel, The Witcher and Kingdom. She spoke to C21 Managing Director and Editor-in-Chief David Jenkinson about her international content strategy. We really believe and care in local, authentic stories. We're not trying to tell global stories. We're not trying to tell international stories. We want creators with a vision in each country who are authentically telling their story. And when it's authentic and specific, those are the shows that connect and they resonate because, right, we're just human beings and connections and universal themes and those things connect. And I really believe when people talk about trying to make global shows, um, I think when you try to make a show for everyone, you make a show for no one. It's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because I imagine lots of people, when they're trying to come to you with a show, say, oh, well, something, the more international, the better. But it seems that that's the last thing that you want, really. Yes, and I think people think that, right? So I do get a fair bit, maybe I'm going to say about half a dozen emails or calls a week. That is, I have an international show for you. Where do I pitch an international show? I have a global show for you. And I was like, please don't pitch that. Just what's the story? What's the story? Who's the writer? What, what do you want to say? And I really think if you look at La Casa de Papel or you look at, more recently, Squid Game, those two shows were authentically made in their country with a vision of being very big and, have, and having local impact in those countries. They happen to be, obviously, we have global distribution, so the access to having those shows, which wasn't really the case before always, it's just sort of easy access, right? Either you were in a big city or close to a big city that you might have to get in your car and drive to somewhere to see, you know, an art house cinema and see a foreign language film, but the access on Netflix is easy. So for us, it's really making authentic series with authentic voice, but then providing a global distribution and easy access for consumers to be able to click play yeah. and watch something from anywhere around the world. Yeah, it's that click to, click to view, isn't it? Which is like never really been around before you, before you guys were here. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, big, I suppose a big global question at the moment, because this is the first time that we've all been back together, really, uh, in a while. I know, um, so fun to see <laughs> all of you in person. <laughs> uh, what changed for you during the pandemic in terms of the way that you saw people consuming um, content and did it inform a, a, a change in what you're thinking about going forward? No, I think what it did, well, I think what happened was that, you know, during that time, you really did feel and see how important storytelling was to people, right? And then people wanted during that time, yes, they had more time, but also had that time to escape or to be entertained to connect, to laugh, and how these stories and shows really kind of brought people together. And how providing that entertainment 
really at least felt like we were trying to do something. There was some source of kind of, you know, either comfort there or at least a way to pass the time or to be, you know, inspired or entertained and entertained is always the goal. Um, I think that became sort of very clear. And I think what we did find in the last couple of years is, you know, more discovery of shows in different languages and people watching things that were sort of subtitled or dubbed who maybe hadn't before. I think that would have happened regardless of the pandemic. I mean, three years ago, we said this is going to happen, right? There's going to be shows that are non-English that are going to be, you know, number one on Netflix, and that was always going to happen. It was really a matter of when, not if. And I do think sort of during the pandemic, kind of the discovery of that or shows people had heard about and people kind of had more time for that discovery. I think that definitely happened. But we definitely did feel that kind of like what storytelling and what that sort of meant to people in different countries. And it, it provided that kind of communal connection also. And has that changed your view going forwards about any relevance of uh, the English language in a show? I mean, it, it, does it actually matter at all now what, whether it's got English in it or not? Or would you prefer not? Or would you, you know, how, how I, do you think about that? I think uh, shows in the UK and the US should, and Australia should be in English. And I think that's sort of right authentically, those creators and those writers telling those stories. And, you know, just like we want, right, in Mumbai, and we want those shows sort of needed to feel, you know, authentic in that way, and in Germany and all through different countries in Europe to feel authentic in their own language in that country. And we have a lot of great English language content that comes from the US and comes from UK and Australia and other places. So it really, again, is what's that story that connects with people? And it's not about, the language only matters if that's the creator's natural language and that's the way that they feel they can express themselves the best. And this is why we also have amazing creative executives and country teams with all cross-functional people in many local offices. So they're part of the creative community. And so it feels authentic and they sort of really understand the culture. And we're really um, employing people sort of in countries and making shows actually based in those countries. It would be great to talk a little bit about those those offices because I know you've put an awful lot of effort into, into those in, in, in recent years. And you know, most recently you've got Rome, Berlin, Stockholm, Copenhagen. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how those, 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 those businesses are growing and developing and, uh, and what the future is for the next ones. Mm -hmm. um, I think the exciting thing is the Rome office opened today. So that's fun and I can't wait to go visit. Um, it just happens to also be the food is amazing. So, you know, I have to visit the Rome office soon for sure. Um, what's been really, you know, great for us is to see in, and we have, you know, probably over 20 local country offices all over the world. And there's teams there because we really want people to be part of the creative community and really, you know, work with creators on the ground, to be able to do it in the time zone and language and sort of understand sort of what the industry is and really sort of be there and, and, and be sort of a part of that. And because we, it's, again, the local part is important. It's very hard to make shows if you're actually not part from that, part of that creative community. All those teams also are empowered. They green light. They do in their time zone. They don't wait for anybody in LA. They definitely don't wait for me. Um, and they can sort of do that there. And so we've seen probably in the last, um, maybe the last six or seven months, we've opened Rome and Bangkok and Copenhagen, Stockholm, Berlin has sort of been open for a little bit. And it's really, we just find, in, and again, we've had some, you know, the, some offices that have been around longer as far as 
India, Korea, Japan, Latin America, and Sao Paulo, and, um, and Mexico City. So it's just been really great to just have these teams, and it's not just creative executives, right? It's production and PR and marketing and, and lots of people kind of there to be a part of that. And that's really where we see, we see the success of you know, a lot of these shows we've had. It's just being there on the ground and being part of that is very important. And in terms of the brief to those offices based on their local markets, what's the sort of strategic outline for them to go forward and do under their own steam and power? Does it reference what's happening in the local broadcast landscape? Is it what other streamers are playing? Or is it just find great people, great ideas and go and make some great stuff? It really is make the best shows possible. And that is, you know, take some risks, take some chances, support creative vision, recognize obviously what you can do on sort of Netflix is the format is different, right? You can have six episodes, eight episodes, 10 episodes. An episode, if the story dictates it, can be 32 minutes or 45 minutes. And it really is what is the best way to tell the show? And that drives it first, right? We actually have the freedom on the platform to be able to tell the story the, way, the best way. And then really it's, what are the best shows? What is going to resonate the most with members in that country? You know, yes, there's, you can do the regional part, but it really is about what will make members who are in that specific country really excited to join Netflix. And so I think sometimes people think when we're sort of in a new country that, oh, we just want like super premium or really edgy or things you've never seen before. We don't want things you've just never seen before. We just want to, if we're going to do crime, we love to do it, you know, with a really great vision and maybe a point of view or a twist on a story you haven't seen before or just the format or the production value. There's other ways to do that. So it really is, depending on each country and each country's team is, make the best shows for the members in that country. And so one of those shows this year that I'm sure surprised everybody, including yourselves, was Squid Game. I mean, maybe it's interesting to talk a little bit about how, how that all played out, because I think it, um, it, it's been played in 142 million member households, I think. In terms of subscriptions, it seems to have driven in the Asian market um, almost half of the new subscription take-up in the last quarter of, uh, or the first qu last quarter of this year. So it's clearly had a, a massive impact on, on membership. What did you all think when that hit and, and did it completely take you by surprise? Yeah, I think what's really fun about Squid Game, which also does reconfirm the strategy of local authentic stories that are just really well told, right, will find an audience or connect with people. And what I think is interesting about Squid Game too is that, so it was, director Wong had the script that he wrote as a film script 12 years ago, I believe it was, could not get it made as a movie in Korea had spoken to the local Korean team about it, and really they all together thought it would really make a great series, right? There was so much in that story to explore with the characters. It's so funny now, because when I look at it, it's hard for me to imagine that as a movie because this amount of characters and exploration and character development that is so amazing in that show. And you know, the, they all decided to do it as a series. Everybody on the Korea team always knew it was a tentpole title for Korea. It was a very important title for Korea. Everybody was always excited about the material. The scripts were very strong. The director, very well-regarded director. And we figured because a lot of Korean dramas travel through Southeast Asia and through different parts of Asia, that it would do well in the region, but it would be big in Korea. And that was always the goal. And <laughs> it was. It was very big in Korea and very big in Southeast Asia and really connected on such a way globally and that 
nobody could imagine because that has actually just never happened before. And I think also what was interesting about it was there was a lot of organic fandom, right? There was members who themselves through social media and TikTok and a lot of different ways shared it and grew that conversation. And so I think people had asked if we did anything in the US, we actually didn't. The service itself started, you know, then sort of having it more discovery for people, but it really was organic fandom that started that kind of conversation. And I think what's so fun about that is that a show just made in Korean, above the line, below the line, and every aspect of it connected with people around the world and people who had never watched a show from Korea before. And I just think that's incredibly exciting because you just have no idea where the next kind of big hit comes from. And so is that how it informs your, your, your thinking going forward? Is it that, okay, well, this could now happen in a similar way with something else from anywhere else? Or do you say, well, what can we do with that franchise and how do we capitalize on it to either expand or spin off or, or replicate in, in that market? What happens next with that franchise, I suppose? So it, so it, it reconfirms the strategy of local authentic and, and that first and the local impact and, and what happens in Korea. So that, that sort of that stays the same. I also think you can look at La Casa de Papel from Spain, right? There was definitely like, okay, that connected with an audience. Then you see Who Killed Sarah from Mexico, Lupin from France, and Squid Game from Korea. So right, not exclusively, right, just from Korea. And you've seen these shows sort of connect globally from different way from different places. So La Casa de Papel, we have a show, um, we're doing a show in Korea. We're doing a version of that um, in Korea and in Spain. Now we're also um, just, I think, announced recently is Berlin. We're gonna do Berlin through the prequel to that. So that's a way to kind of expand that. And you know, Squid Game, we're talking about, you know, the next season and just trying to figure out sort of where is a company, like where do we do that? But it always starts with a creative. Because what we won't do is sort of take a title because everybody was offered Squid Game around the world. So it's not like people didn't have access to that show already, subtitled or dubbed. So we know the people you know, have watched it and have access to it. So it really is, is there a writer in some other country who has an amazing take on it, right? In Korea, they had a really great authentic take that made sense in Korea for La Casa de Papel. And that's why we're doing it there, because somebody actually really had a vision to make it feel Korean, because they have access to the Spanish version, right, in, in, in subtitled and dubbed. So it really, I think it's, it's um, I think Squid Game just sort of reconfirms a lot of, of what we've been doing. Um, question coming in uh, on the app. Um, <gasps> yep, steady on, hold on to your seat. Um, what additional countries is Netflix looking at and uh, where will the, the next offices be? Where, 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 do you, where do you think your next push uh, uh, might be? You know, we're in, we're making shows, you know, with local shows in sort of over 40 countries already. And sometimes we think there's, you know, regional offices and regional sort of teams that can do things kind of in local areas. So. I, I'm not sure sort of the next one is, you know, earlier this year, we've been making shows um, for Turkey for a while, but we just started, open, we just opened an office earlier this year in Istanbul. And so sometimes, right, we've already been making shows in countries and then we'll, we'll open an office. And, you know, we're very, we're so, if you look at sort of APAC for us, you know, all of EMEA and Latin America, I think we have a really great presence in places. Sometimes we might want, feel like we want to go deeper, like we have, we had many people sort of in Singapore that were doing Southeast Asia and now we're opening Bangkok and sort of right, that took a while until we figure out like, you know, what that 
need us to really have a team sort of focus and, and how much do you build locally, regionally before actually having to be specifically in the country itself. So, you know, we're always going to be looking at just sort of expanding sort of great storytelling and, and kind of where the next story comes from. When we last met in 2019, it was, I think it was just a month after Disney Plus launched and, and since then there's been quite a lot of new streamer competition. Mm -hmm. um, how do you look to that competition? Is it something that you worry about, think about? Does it alter your approach? Because it's, it's, there's a lot of competition now in, in streamer mm -hmm. land. What, mm -hmm. How does that inform your, your job and what, what you make? So I think we've always had competition, right? We've had linear television, we'll have, you know, gaming. There's people, just people do lots of different things with their time. So I think competition has, you know, always been here. It's not a new thing. And yes, there's definitely more competition. And where I think that really plays is that it makes me think about always that consumers have a lot of choice, right? There's a lot of, lot of choice out there and they have, they can do that. So we still have to focus on having the best shows. And we have to sort of have the best shows as consumers are making choices, and they have a lot of them, that we want to make sure we have the best shows for them. And to get the best shows for them, we have to work with the best creators because it's hard to make good shows. And to make good shows, you need to really work with the best creators. And so still for me, when I look at the competition, it really is focusing on those same things, which is how do we continue to sort of be locally in countries, be part of these communities, you know, really being sort of out there and, and building sort of relationships, but also always creating an environment where creators think that Netflix is a great place to work and always creating an environment where creators feel that we supported their vision and they actually got to sort of tell their authentic story. So I think, you know, competition is great for consumers, lots of choice, but for me, um, aware of it, totally get it. I don't spend too much time looking over my shoulder because I think it's very hard to sort of do that and kind of run forward at the same time. So for me, I think we've, it's, it's I'm gonna say it's kind of more of the same we've been doing, which is really continuing to focus on great storytelling in many different countries. And I think that is always, for our members, the goal is always to please our members and to please our members, we have to work with the best creators. And to work with the best creators, we have to continue to create an environment where creators want to work. And is there anything on any of those platforms that you wish you had on yours? If oh. you were to pick one. Oh, I had to pick one. I could get to go shopping. Do I get it? Yeah. I don't get it. Well, is that, is like that my special prize for yeah. being here? <laughs> um, I wish, I really like Yellowstone. Cool. Okay. And that would inform development of a something that would be for the reasons you like that particular show is? is it, I think it'd be interesting on our service. I think we don't necessarily have kind of something like that. I think it's, you know, I, I just think it's sort of, um, I think it sort of speaks in an audience. Obviously, he's done very well. Um, but I just think, you know, I've sort of always been interested in that show in the past. And I just think it's, um, I think it's a, it's a really great show and, yeah. and would be a good title for us. I mean, and that opens up a sort of a, a, an area of the conversation, which is about what, what are the things that you haven't got that you feel you need? Are there gaps in your sort of when you, you know, you think across everything that you do. And I know it's a vast, <laughs> it's a vast array of, of programming, but um, is there something missing that you've just been trying to find but can't quite get there? there at the moment, or are you happy with where things are? Um, well, this question, I, this is always a funny question to me, just because it's, we have so many great things in so many different ways. And if you think about scripted, you think of unscripted and doc series and stand up, like 
I just feel like we have these amazing teams all over the world who are working with the best creators. So it's, it's not so much here something kind of missing, because I think if we really felt like here's a very specific gap, you know, I think we would pick up the phone and call, you know, our, some of our favorite producers and, and people we're in business with and say, here's kind of an area and can you sort of really like help us find it? I think it's always important to be really open. And I think what's hard is when you limit, right? We only want this or we don't want this because, you know, I'm not, we wouldn't have gone out there and said, you know, I wish we had a period show about a young woman playing chess. Yeah, yeah. And who knew we needed a show about, a period show about a young woman playing chess. And so I think it's, it's hard to be limiting. But when I look at, you know, the slate coming up and I look at 1899 from Bonianti from Germany, the creators of Dark, and, you know, we have the new show from, um, you know, the creator of Call My Agent, and we have this really fun show, um, Young Famous in Africa, an unscripted show about these fabulous, fun, you know, um, African talent from all over the continent. We're following them in Joburg, and it's just, it's, it's just, it feels so bold and, and so fun and fresh, and you know, I'm excited about Anatomy of Scandal from the UK, which, you know, S.J. Clarkson directed and the cast is stellar. Like, there's so many good things in so many different, you know, scripted in different countries and unscripted. So it's hard to say, here's the thing, but I think all of those things, you're going to be so sick of me saying this, but all of those things started with a very specific vision and had something to say, and they were very authentic to where the story was coming from. Yeah. And let's talk a bit, a bit about Unscripted, because that wasn't where the, the things started, really. You've done more and more of that in, um, in, in recent years. What's the Unscripted strategy, and how will that change going forward? So the unscripted strategy, you know, interestingly enough, so five years ago, a little bit more than five years ago, I started in Netflix, and I came in to start the unscripted group. So, you know, it was this idea of like, oh, we, you know, there was dogs, but there really wasn't sort of unscripted sort of television in that way. And that was really fun and exciting because I got to sort of come into Netflix and actually start a new type of programming that we hadn't done. Obviously, we knew there was an audience for it because we know... If you look at sort of, you know, what people watch, there's a big audience for it. And it was really, you know, the same way. Like, what is, what can we do that, and it wasn't like, let's do something that's never been done before. It was like, okay, what's our, what would we do for baking, right? People like cooking shows. We ended up doing Nailed It, which was a little unconventional of like, not pretty baking, but it was comedic and it was fun. And a lot of the first slate, when we started from the U.S. five years ago, was very joyful, there was a lot of positivity, right? It was Marie Kondo, it was Nailed It, it was Sugar Rush, there was like a lot of positivity kind of around those and we just kind of naturally leaned into that. And you know, and then we sort of went to real estate and selling Sunset and lots of other things. And then in other countries that we had started doing, you know, scripted in many different countries, then we really started leaning into more, again, unscripted in many countries. It feels very local. It's very authentically local if you really think about following real people in a doxo, following real contestants, you know, baking. And so what we've done just in different countries is really sort of, again, it's very important to us that we have variety and quality. And our members, right, we have over 200 million members all around the world with very different tastes and very different moods. I'm sure all of you, right, sometimes you're in the mood for a certain thing. And Unscripted also provides right that, and we know, and and it feels very um, local and authentic. So, it really is, I think, always just great in the slate to have sort of that offering. 
how does your shift to focus on subscriber engagement from rapid subscriber growth in the UK change the type of content you'll commission and acquire? Is that a thing? Is that a change in strategy from growth to engagement? Is, is there a different approach these days? So I think, look, I mean, engagement, right? This is why recently we've been talking about view hours because, you know, I think if you look at a subscription business, right, revenue, subscribers, and engagement is very important, right? What are view hours? How much do sort of people you know, engage, you know, with certain titles. And, you know, I think sometimes we'll look at sort of growth of like, what are, you know, what are the great shows? And then look in in different countries and say, you know, is there a specific audience that we're actually not getting? Or who are the people who haven't really decided they want to join? You know, Netflix, do we think there's just gaps in, in programming? Um, you know, I think when we looked at the slate in the UK, you know, way back when, a little while ago, and it was, Oh, you know, we, you know, when we looked at that slate, it was an early slate. It was like, oh, we could sort of, there were some great actions sort of coming out of the UK. Obviously, there's lots of, you know, there's such amazing talent in the UK. So it really was like, what's, what's just a really great offering of variety and quality? And we ended up adding, you know, a few more kind of action things to it. You know, we have doc series. But we do look at it kind of along the way. But really what we have found is... If you have great shows that have local impact, that create a conversation in a community, right, in a country, those are the things that people start hearing about, right? Oh, all my friends are talking about it. My family's talking about it. I hear it in my community, which then makes me want to, to join Netflix. So it's very important that it's locally relevant, locally impactful, and it creates that conversation. And... You know, we recently saw in Italy, we had an animation show, actually, um, Tear Along the Dotted Line, which is authentically very Italian. And it just was so beloved in Italy, and it's an animation. And that just created this conversation of people just loved what it was and the feelings that it brought out, and that really created this kind of conversation in Italy. And those were the titles that people sort of joined for. Yeah. Well, where does procedural drama fit in, in, in your business? Because there's a lot of closed-ended series. There's a lot of repeated series and ongoing series, but mm -hmm. it, it, where does the sort of the CSIs and the criminal minds and that, how important is that for, for, for um, mm -hmm. building, building mm -hmm. the brand? So I do think, you know, I think sometimes when, um, I've had lots of, I've worked on lots of procedurals in my career, you know, so I do think sometimes, I think when people right, come to streaming, you know, they think that, you know, the we don't do or shouldn't do or don't do procedurals and, and linear. But we know that we've also licensed many of those shows, so we knew we do know, right, that they work, right? Um, Lucifer, right, kind of lightly sort of mystery that way, and and we took it over as an original. We licensed and we flipped it to original. So I think there's also sometimes in certain countries, if there's a lot of crime on linear that people don't come to streaming for crime, but, you know, we look at sort of Denmark and Chestnut Man, you know, does is, is just, you know, does extremely well. So I do think crime definitely has, um, you know, we love the idea that if somebody has like a great twisty, churny story and has sort of that great mystery element, that's great. I love the idea of doing procedural. It's just trying to figure out, you know, what, what, what does that look like, you know, for us. But I think a procedural definitely it has um, a place on streaming. It would be remiss of me not to ask you about the um, Dave Chappelle special, which caused um, lots of um, um, 
copy for sure. <laughs> I imagine uh, lots of conversations within the business. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I assume that everybody in, in the audience is, is, is aware of, of what happened. He's, you, you stuck by him. He robustly defended himself. Uh, I wonder sort of now with a little bit of time uh, between it, uh, when it happened and now, what you, your take on the issue is and what are the wider consequences for the business and as a whole? Where does it sit in the story of, of television? Mm -hmm. So I think these are Right, always sort of, you know, important and difficult sort of issues and, and discussions. And I think representation is very important. You know, being a woman of color, being an immigrant in America when I was growing up and not seeing myself ever represented on screen, I understand sort of this, the power of representation, right, and seeing yourself seen um, in that way. And, and when you don't see yourself, see what, what that feels like, um, right, which was most of, was most of my, most of my upbringing. Um, so I think representation is really important. I think in our jobs and, and in my job, I speak to a lot of creators, you know, all the time about protecting their vision, the creative expression and protecting the story that they want to tell around the world. And that is really fundamental to what we do and very important to what we do. And so I think sometimes this idea of representation and what that is and what that story is and protecting creative expression can be in tension with each other. And sometimes they are in conflict. But I think for us and for our business to support and protect cr the creator's vision is very important. And I think our members, if you think about it, we have members all around the world with very different values, very different tastes, have very different opinions on, on lots of different kinds of shows, they get to decide. And they want the choice to decide what they want to watch and what they don't want to watch. And so I think even when those things are in conflict, I think our, our members also expect that we, I think protecting creative expression for creators is very important. I think protecting creative expression for creators is also good for members. And the different variety and quality of things we do, and then they get to choose. And so these are always very difficult conversations, but I still think we protect the creator's vision, and that's very important. With the push for local authentic content, is there a discrepancy between cost per hour of commissioned shows out of the US and the cost per hour elsewhere, or is this all based on whatever the cost of programming is within that country. I suppose is there a disparity between what it would cost to make in different local markets and how that would travel internationally? So because the goal of each of the country teams is to make shows in their local market and to make the best shows for the members in that country, the goal of the shows is not to travel. That's not, that's fun and that's great when it happens and you know everybody gets really excited like when a squid game and that's just great for members because they discovered the th a thing that maybe they hadn't watched before. So, and it's very important to us that we are part of the local ecosystem, right? We don't want to be, we're not an American company going to certain countries and, and doing it that way. We hire all local, right? We have local executives and local people and we work with local creative talent and local crews. And we want to have great production value, right? We but we also want to be part of the ecosystem. So if a show in the US, by the way, the show, a show in the US has a big range of shows can cost very little and a lot, like, and that's kind of with everywhere. So depending on what the script and what the show is, that's what it costs. 
right? If we're making a show in India, that sort of costs whatever that, the nature of sort of what that script is. So we don't look at it like, oh, we're making international or global programming and it all should be this exact thing. It, some shows are expensive, some shows are not, some shows are bigger, some shows are smaller. And it really is what is the, the best way to tell that story. But it is very important to us that, right, we work within the local ecosystem. We're not trying to blow up the market. We are really there we're for a long, long time and want to be part of the local ecosystem. So before you joined Netflix, you were pr president of uh, Universal Television. And, and, and prior to that, you were SVP of cable programming at CBS and uh, um, senior vice president of movies and miniseries uh, for, CBS, for the CBS network. Um, if you were running a traditional network right now, what would you be doing to compete with Netflix? Oh. Okay. Um, okay, so what I would do, okay, so what I would do is a few things. Okay, so I would get rid of a lot of, a lot of the process. So I think in some linear places, and I worked in many of them, and I had an amazing run and, and, and made some great shows that I'm so proud of, I just think creators and talent have now a different kind of experience, sometimes in streaming. More freedom in format, more freedom in sort of the length of things, and sometimes, and hopefully, less layers and less process. And so... I would probably do a couple of things. One would be I would try to get rid of the layers and layers of people who are usually and traditionally have been involved because there's just too many people. And for writers, it becomes really difficult when you have 10 different people sort of giving you notes. Um, so I would actually make that a much more sort of talent-friendly and creator-friendly process. I would do something very bold, too. I think bold for linear would be if somebody runs drama at a linear they should decide what drama's going there. Our teams greenlight their shows. Our teams sit there and they greenlight the shows that they believe are the best. We hire them for their expertise. We hire them because they're experienced and you hope that they can sort of make these big, bold choices. And I think sometimes in linear, there's too many people involved of like who, what, why, so much testing, so much thing. Sometimes things get watered down in certain places. Sometimes they don't. There's a lot, of, and by the way, I want to be clear. There's a lot of great television on linear. I do think to compete with streaming, you have to sort of just make the entire experience like very talent friendly and probably a little bit more liberating in that way. And, and that leads actually to a question on the iPad. Um, uh, how do you keep and attract talent in a heated market? Um, how do you engage early? And how do you green light? How do you keep those people with you? I'm assuming external talent. talent. External yeah, talent. Yeah. Yes. Um, look, I think what, what we hope, and and we know, right, making shows can be difficult. It's creative endeavor. Some things work. Some things don't work, right? There's alchemy. It's got to all come together. So not everything can just sort of be perfect. And it's a difficult, it can be difficult to sort of make a show. And there's lots of circumstances and lots of people involved, you know, on, on a show. But for us, I think it's very important that creators and talent feel like they had a great experience making a show. They got to make the show that they wanted to. They had a vision of a show, and at the end of it, they could say, you know what? People may have watched it. People may not have watched it. However it connected was that I feel good about the experience, and I got to make the show that I wanted to, and I had a great experience doing it, and I felt supported through that. And that, to me, is how we do it. I think people have, creators who've worked with us in the past, 
definitely have said to me that they feel the Netflix effect, right? They feel that people see their shows. They can feel that people talk about it. They can feel that it's in the cultural zeitgeist. They, they see that that happens. And so I think that, you know, helps. And usually when people have worked with us once or twice before, like they like the experience, they have a shorthand, they, they understand sort of the service. And so I think for us, it's always, I still think though, we have to win it every day. And I think Netflix has made, right, we've made amazing shows. We work with the best creators. The teams are amazing. I'm so privileged to work with the people I work with on Netflix. It's amazing. But I still think for consumers and creators, we still have to win it every day. And so I think competition is a good thing for everybody because I think you have to sort of know that every day you have to make talent feel like this is the best place to work. And I believe we have to, in my job, in a lot of ways, is to make sure that my teams and the creative executives also feel like this is the best place to work. Because if this is fun and this is the best place to work, then talent's gonna feel like it's the best place to work. We can't just make it great for talent and not make it great internally. It doesn't really work that way. It's we have to really feel like we're engaged and this is inspiring and what we're doing is so fun because it's so fun. We get to make television that, that it's crazy. Like it's such a fun thing. And I think when people get jaded and cynical, you gotta really take a breath because it really is like really fun what we get to do. Um, so I think, but I still think we have to win it and earn it every day. You have now uh, started to move into gaming, um, which uh, is um, a question I have and also uh, one from someone in the audience. Um, how is that going to interface with TV? Is it gonna be uh, part of the commissioning mix? Is it gonna be heavily in unscripted or in, in, in drama? And how, how is that sort of gaming push going to uh, change your job and what you do going forward? It's very early days, so I will share with you as much as I also know, is that, you know, um, I think gaming is sort of, you know, a natural sort of extension and storytelling of, of, of what we do. And it's still going to be, you know, gaming, there's an entire different group that does gaming, which again is sort of an expertise and, and that they do that. For us, it's still gonna, it's gonna always start with the show. We're gonna make a great show. If there's a natural extension of that, it could be a game, right? They'd be having a conversation. But it really right now is the gaming right group and development group is just figuring sort of out the games and there's a lot to learn and still grow through the years. This isn't just, you know, tomorrow. Um, so I think it's still kind of early days of how that really sort of interacts. There'll be some shows that might naturally have a character, an extension that would make sense for a game. But again, I want to be careful because it has to start with the creative in that show first, instead of, you know, I always get worried about when things start getting overly manufactured, like, or gimmicky, like, could we do this or could we do that? It just has to start with a pure vision of a show. Stranger Things was an amazing script that existed and it just was authentic to what that is. Now Stranger Things has a store and live experiences and there's just a natural extension of what that is, but it started with just an amazing show that connected with fans first. Um question from the floor. What is Netflix's strategy for licensed content going to be going forward? Do you intend still to bid for American studio shows or will volume deals with independent or with volume deals with independent producers? That's a licensing person sitting here in the audience asking that. Um, I think licensing is a very important part right of our business. We have I think it's, again, when we look at variety and quality and offering our members the best shows, it's where do the best shows come from, right? We make original shows, we 
make shows ourselves. We make many, you know, shows with so many sort of independent producers and in, in, in all over the world. We have co-productions that we do. We license shows. You know, we've also had experiences. If I talk about sort of the U.S. real quick, we've also had experiences on the U.S. where we've licensed a show like Lucifer, and right, our members loved it. When it got canceled, it was great. We got to flip it to an original. The show You was also a show on Linear that we had co-licensed early on, and then when that was canceled, we sort of flipped that to an original and recently Manifest, um, right, which was um, on NBC that we had had. So it's, I think licensing is a really, you know, always an important sort of part of our business because we want the best shows possible for our members. And wherever the best shows sort of come from and what that looks like is where we're going to lead. In, in terms of IP and ownership of, of, of content, you, 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 you fully commission and own shows to, to the greater extent. If new communities and emerging com communities and diverse communities are to sort of build valuable franchises, but perhaps some of them will need to own IP in order to exploit that in secondary markets in the same way that the independent production community grew in the, in the UK by retaining its rights. What's your thoughts going forward about the sort of the, the shape and the structure of how you will work with partners and or with mm -hmm. uh, producers to, to share rights in different, in different windows? Is that going to change or stay the same? I mean, in many different countries, we've been sort of flexible on the deal structure depending on what it is. You know, what are the local things? Sometimes it's been... Right, sure. It's interesting because certain producers are like, this thing is more important to me than that, or actually making more money up front is more important, or having these rights is more important. And so in different countries, we have like a, a variety of sort of flexible deal structures because I think, you know, certain producers will say, well, this one thing is important. And it's interesting. We're like, well, these five producers actually think a different thing is important. And again, we, we want to make great shows and we want to work with the best talent and we want people to do well, like, right, we want everybody to be compensated, we always want to be top of market, like, we are very sort of part, we're, you know, we want talent to feel supported, we want you to, to, to that's why we've always been more creative, even, which we've talked about in deal structures, and more flexible in that, depending on the country, and what's sort of the norm, and things, and what's important to different producers, and so I think that's always sort of evolving, and we're always having those conversations. So we're moving into the final, the final 10 minutes. So I'd like to talk more broadly about, and I, I'm, I'm going to keep taking questions from the iPad just because we still have quite a bit to get, get through. So um, if you have got a question, do, do ping it up and we can have a look at it. Um, going forward into 2022, clearly this is like a, 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 a pivotal moment. We've, um, we've, we've squeezed Content London in potentially between lockdowns and we've made, you've made this trip to be with us, which is fantastic. But next year is going to have its own challenges. Um, are there particular things that you think are barriers to development next year? What are you most worried about getting in the way of what you need to do with your business going forward? Is it, is it just pandemic structures or are there other things that need to be removed to help you do what you want to do globally? It's a good question. It's a very, it's a good question. I always ask my teams the same question. What's in our way? Is there something in our way? What is that? And I think sometimes depending on the country, there's, you know, things going on. But I think when I look at, you know, what is really exciting to me is when, you know, earlier this year, we just sort of went through kind of each country's slate for 22. And so 21, we've had some, you know, amazing big shows and a really great slate. 
just sort of in December, we have like a lot of fan favorites coming up between La Casa de Papel and The Witcher and Emily in Paris and Cobra. There's just so many great things already sort of just in this month. And we've already had sort of such a fun, amazing year. But when I look at 22 and certain things because of pandemic and stuff did also get pushed and the schedules next year. But when I look at, you know, when you look at sort of India Slate and France Slate and Mexico City, which is Mexico, which is very sort of mature market for us. Like, I mean, they have this amazing strong slate next year. And I think what will be the only issues will be um, like new variant that we're dealing with today, right? There'll be things that, that, you know, will that slow up production? Will that sort of cause issues? I think the good thing is, I think, we have a lot of knowledge about that now and a lot of safety protocols and a lot of ways of knowing how to handle and test and a lot of experience in all of these countries under our belt. So I don't think it's as, you know, I mean, when it first happened, there was so much unknown. And so I don't think it's as, because it's not sort of unknown in that way. I think we're just sort of, we're prepared, we're smart. Everybody's been really amazing. And the learnings for us across each country and each region has been great to sort of see, because everybody was at it at a different time. And so we actually did have the benefit of so many learnings kind of across the world. So I, I just, I don't, I think it's just gonna be like, right? Continuing to sort of take chances and be bold and, and, and just sort of make great entertainment. And when I look at the slates in most of these countries for 22, it's really exciting. And, and, ex and, and actually really exciting in the sense of like, Squid Game just, there it was. And it, just, it, that, it did what, what, what that show did. And so next year, where does the next one kind of that really captivates sort of the audience in that way, where does that come from? It could come from anywhere. And that audience is perhaps more anxious than it was two years ago, yeah? I mean, we've had lots of anxieties come to the fore as we've all had time to sit and think about things that, that, that bother us in, in all sorts of different ways, you know, Black, Black Lives Matter, the, the climate crisis, um, you know, there's so many uh, anxieties that are at, a, that are at large in, in the world, in, the, in that audience's mind. Does that change the responsibility of the sorts of programming that you're making, or is this entertainment to to soothe and to help? Or are you engaging more to be part of a solution? I think, look, we, we want to entertain the world, right? We're an entertainment company. We want to make great series and unscripted and duck series and films and everything, and we want to entertain. And we also know that people have different tastes and different moods. And what I love about the content, right, sometimes people want, they want to sort of laugh and they want something really, you know, chill, or there's like, I want something easy and fun, and ooh, I want this immersive, like, deep drama that I want to engage in, or yes, I'm gonna go explore and, you know, watch a show from France, and I'm gonna sort of discover a thing I haven't seen before. So I just, um, I think for us, it just has to start with, it's just, it's entertainment. And for me, it's not so much what are the stories we want to tell, it's all about what are the stories creators want to tell. There's no thing that we're sitting here saying, here's what we, Here's where the world's feeling. Here's what we should do. It really is this idea of what are the different stories of what are on the hearts and minds of writers and what do they want to, what kinds of shows do they want to do and where are they at kind of in that world. It's interesting. Somebody had asked me, you know, about Bridgerton. Like, was Bridgerton kind of right timing because it was like pandemic time? And I was like, 
Shonda wrote that a long time ago. Like, the Bridgerton is just a great show that was going to connect with people no matter what because it's incredible storytelling. And, and, and I think it's always, it's not trying to anticipate the times or the feelings because also there's different people from all over the world in different parts of the world, right? It's not a monolith in any way. Lots of different members, lots of different tastes and, and things. So I think it always has to be what stories, you know, what's, what's sitting in sort of a, a writer's mind. So a year from now, looking back on, 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 on what you hope to achieve, what would you like to have done uh, uh, in, in the next 12 months? What, what, what are the key things that you want to solve, uh, successes you want to deliver? What, what would you like to see happen by the end of 2020? Solve? There's no solving. It's just like evolving. It's fluid. I want to just keep getting... Um, I want to just keep getting better, right? I think as sort of Netflix, right, it's a very learning culture. So like, what do we learn? Like, what are we learning in sort of different countries? Like, what do we learn programming? You know, I just sort of want to get better. I want to make, I would hope that, you know, I'd hope the members are really excited about the shows we're doing. I hope we continue to grow and get those members that somebody was referencing to. Like, there's going to be that one title that just really captivates somebody that people are talking about, the title that makes them sort of want to join and discover all this amazing programming. I think it's important that, you know, many of these new country offices that we just talk about, right, really feel sort of supported and in the, in, in, in the communities and sort of that they continue to sort of evolve and grow and really feel like, you know, that the France, Netflix, like feels part of that and Germany feels like that and, and Istanbul, like they're a company that, you know, there's a Turkish team that's sort of in the country now and, and really feels sort of fabric of, of the community in that way. So I just want to continue to... I just hope we, you know, kind of win those kind of moments with members that they just really continue to find, right? People that were so delighted this year over Squid Game or delighted over Maid, right? Or Lupin sort of earlier this year that, you know, next year there's kind of a new discovery of something else that they love to share and, and word of mouth and, and that people sort of, you know, love those shows in that way. It's just so exciting. I just want to continue to do more of the same, but better. Cool. Well, thank you ever so much for getting on a plane and coming to talk to thank us. It's you. been fascinating. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Bella. Thank you so much. Thank you. Netflix's Bella Bajaria talking with David Jenkinson at C21's Content London. Also on stage at the same event was a quartet of Disney Plus execs from the EMEA commissioning team spelling out their own content strategies across scripted and unscripted and opportunities for international collaboration. Vice President of Original Productions Liam Keelan, directors of scripted content Johanna Devereaux and Lee Mason, plus unscripted content chief Sean Doyle, spoke to C21 editorial director Ed Waller. Just a few facts for those of us that have lived under a rock for the last two years. Uh, Disney Plus launched um, pretty much two years ago, um, and uh, it launched in the UK famously the, the day after the first uh, lockdown was announced. Um, fast forward to now, and uh, uh, many more territory launches, and we are up to 118 million subscriptions worldwide. Um, will be available in 50 countries by 2022, and 160 countries by the end of 2023. And just the last couple of numbers, last month, it upped its annual content spend by 8 billion to 33 billion and uh, 60 European originals per year by 2024. Okay, there's some numbers. Um, I'm going to start with you, Liam, if that's okay. Uh, 
<laughs> Disney Plus is obviously a very new service, um, so I'm, I'm going to ask you just to give us a little bit of a, a who's who, if you like, because uh, obviously there's more people in the team, the commissioning team, than are on the stage right now. Why didn't you give us that? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, Disney Plus is a relatively new service still, and this is a relatively new team. So um, I've been there uh, just under a couple of years now. Um, Joanna uh, had worked a little bit longer at the organisation, um, so she's the director of Scripted, as is uh, Lee Mason, who uh, came from Channel 4. Uh, he's uh, commissioned It's a Sin. Uh, and last but not least is uh, Sean Doyle, also from Channel 4. I'm really sorry, Channel 4. I uh, <laughs> nabbed a couple of people there. But he, he's the director for Unscripted. Um, but obviously there's a wider, wider team there. Um, there's Mark Jarvis, uh, who works uh, in the scripted area. Hannah Scott as well. Uh, and we've just hired uh, uh, Johnny... Richards. Johnny Richards. Oh, God, so many names to remember. <laughs> Johnny Richards from Longbow Pictures, who's, who's worked with Lee in the past at Channel 4 as well. OK, that's a nice little announcement for any journalists in the room. Um, <laughs> OK, uh, I guess my next question is, what's, what, what kind of programming has, has worked on the service before we get into the, uh, the new content that you, you're commissioning? What, what's been working so far on Disney Plus? Well, I mean, it, w it won't surprise you to, to, to know that, you know, things like The Mandalorian, the, the, the Marvels, the, the, you know, the, the Loki, uh, you know, the, those kind of uh, uh, projects have worked really, really well for the service. Uh, and then latterly, things like, uh, you know, Murders in the Building, uh, you know, uh, Dope Sick has just launched. Uh, and if anyone hasn't seen, Dope Sick is absolutely amazing about the uh, opioid crisis in the US. So uh, that's launched and is doing well for the service as well. And what is, I mean, when it comes to original content from EMEA, what's, what's the overall sort of strategy, would you say? I mean, it, it varies by, by service, really. Obviously, we're commissioning for Disney-branded shows and for Star. So for that family audience uh, on, Disney brand, on the Disney-branded side, and there's the shows that we've announced, like Nautilus and uh, Renegade Nell, uh, that absolutely fit that brief of, you know, being... Well, not, not too dissimilar in terms of the audience target of something like The Mandalorian. So it's adults first, but with co-viewing potential, projects of real scale, fun, adventure, you know, absolutely speaking to those uh, uh, Disney values. Uh, so that, that's, that's on the Disney branded side. Um, for, for, for Star, and, and Star is, so the, the more adult uh, side, is probably about... 80% of what we're commissioning is, is for that, um, you know, because there's a real need in that area. Um, that's, that's very different in, in terms of the audience that, that it's speaking to. It's obviously a, an 18 plus audience. And the things that we're looking for there are real, you know, things that are really going to grab the attention of the audience that feel as if they're innovating in tone, a twist on genre. We, we, we really feel as if we need to be surprised. Um, you know, we're a new service and anything that we do needs to grab the attention of the audience. We know how competitive it is out there. So it's got to have a particular tone of voice. It's got to have something to say. And, you know, ultimately, we want people to be saying, oh, my God, have you seen that show on Disney, whether it's on the Disney branded side or whether it's on the star side. That's really, really important to us. And again, I think, 
you know, if you see some of the shows that we've announced, um, either in the UK or, or more broadly uh, across Europe, I, I think, you know, they really speak to that because, uh, you know, we're very proud of the slate that we're building at the moment. Excellent. I'm going to bring uh, Joanna in, if I, if I may. Um, before we get into the sort of uh, the details of some of the original content, maybe you can give some of our delegates a little bit of a clue of sort of this, the difference between a, a, like a Disney commission, a Disney plus commission, a sort of, um, you know, a, a star commission and, and the sort of scripted content that works across those. Yeah, I mean, it's what Liam's just said, really. I think for Disney branded, we're looking for, um, you know, shows that will target an adult audience, but with co-viewing potential for kids, you know, we don't want to exclude a child audience of sort of 10 plus. I think those Disney values, you know, the, the optimism, the fun, the adventure, the sort of joy of, of storytelling for Disney is incredibly important. So we're holding on to all of that, but it's not... I would say probably the number one reason why we say no to, to um, submissions for Disney is that they feel too young. They feel like children's content, children's shows. And, you know, we're not trying to, to um, compromise on the sophistication of the storytelling of something for Disney+. Plus. So if you look at the things that we've announced, you know, the Ballad of Renegade Nell, it's Sally Wainwright. And it's, you know, it is absolutely Sally Wainwright writing. She's not changing that sort of glorious wit and, and sophistication of character and storytelling. So I think that's a good guide to it. Or, or you know, Nautilus, which Liam was just talking about. It's Jules Verne, it's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but it's done in a you know, proper reboot for a 21st century audience, a real change in the point of view and, and something that will really take adults and kids on, on an incredible adventure. So that's the Disney side of it. And then for Star, um, I'm going to say it in the same way. Probably the, the reason why we say no to things on Star is that they just don't have that point of difference. It's, you know, it's things that we feel like we might have seen before or we might have seen on a different um, network or, or platform. We're looking for something that feels like it's going to innovate, whether in the, the voice or the tone or the twist on genre or, or something like that. What is the thing that's going to make you go, oh, I, I was expecting it to be like that, but it was like this. And, you know, something that's really going to get you. As Liam was saying, you know, talking to your friends, you've got to watch that show on Disney plus because it's so different from from what you'll see elsewhere cool. and, and lee just i mean obviously there's a lot of uh, scripted <clears throat> genres that you are commissioning it might be easy to, to look at the scripted genres that you're, you're not looking to commission in what, what would you say they are um is this working yeah yes. you, did you break out of the film mike have you broken the tech already <laughs> I've broken it. Yeah. um well uh what, what wouldn't we commission yeah I mean, in terms of sort of world and genre, I don't think we would sort of say no to anything because it's not about that. It's about the tone of voice. It's about the attitude and it's about the approach to that sort of world. So I think, you know, whether it is whatever, whatever genre, you know, whether it's a crime show, whether it's period, whatever, it's always going to be about what's the surprising element that the writer brings to that particular piece that's always going to be the most exciting thing for us um you know yes you sort of say all of those numbers and you go oh god you've got all this money and all this sort of stuff but there's a lot of content out there there is a lot of competition and you really want to make sure that you are sort of you know you're sure you there's a sort of boldness to your shows there's a kind of there's a sort of audaciousness to your shows actually so you know that they are going to cut through and you know that people are going to be one surprised by it because i think you know we're probably on you know, you sort of on a bit of a journey with a Disney Plus platform, which is, a, you know, sort of people sort of learning that actually there is more content than maybe what they thought there would be in terms of the sort of family stuff and the adult stuff. So I think that stuff's quite important. Um, I mean, I think, I think also it's sort of the, the, 
uh, you, you, anecdotally, I heard, for example, you know, that some producers were talking about, you know, well, what would a YA piece be for, for, for Star? And someone said, oh, sex education without the sex. And <laughs> actually, but what's funny about that is that, like, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. You know, it's like, no, no, I'd, I'd have loved that show. It would have been great. You know, so I think that's, that's what's important for people to know is that, you know, we do want to kind of push those boundaries. And the, but the other thing that is important is that it is about shows that ultimately have optimism. You know, it is about entertainment. That doesn't mean the drama shouldn't have purpose. All drama should have purpose. You should all try and say something when you want, you know, but it's something about each piece. But it's all about, you know, it, it is an entertainment. It is entertainment. It is about you enjoying yourself. Uh, and that doesn't mean sort of sugar-coated in a sort of Disney way, as you would expect. It just means that actually, you know, there is a positivity in those 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 sorts of shows. So It's a Sin, which, which Liam mentioned, for example, you, you might go, oh, well, that's probably not a show that Disney Plus would do. I would commission that here. I totally would. And it would totally work for us, you know, because it's a... It speaks to its local market. It's a UK show. It's a story about British gay men going through the AIDS crisis. But there is a universality to the subject. And ultimately, it's an optimistic piece, you know, because it's about friendship. It's about love. It's about Richie dying without shame and all those sorts of things. So that's probably a sort of subject you go, oh, yeah, we, you would never do that. We would totally do that. We would totally, totally make that show. So, um, so it's not really about, so that's why I say there's not really nothing we wouldn't look for. It's about what you bring to it. That's the thing. Is it... Sorry, that was a ramble, wasn't it? No, no, it's a really, it's a really important point though, because that that is the message we've been putting out there for. Because you know, people don't didn't know what to expect from Disney Plus when it launched, and um, and we did often get that question of you know, but surely that you know, I may destroy you, for example, that that would be too much for you, wouldn't it? No, it wouldn't, uh, you know, because there are strict parental controls on the service. So you know, once once you put your age. In, then you're you're free to go whatever you like on the platform. So, yeah, we. Yeah. we do you remember when Sa I was just going to say when Sally Woodward Gentle sent us Extraordinary for the first time? It was one of the shows we're going to talk about today. But she, she sent it to us. It's a comedy series, and it's definitely not for kids. And she sent it to us, and I think in the email said something yeah. like, "Oh, this is going to be a bit too rude." Oh, it was, it was literally this. <laughs> this will give you a laugh, but it probably won't be for you. You know. So, and Joanna and I read it, and and we're like, we've got to have it. You know, and it was from a completely new writer, but just had such a tone of voice and felt completely different. Um, you know, that's filming at the moment. Preconceptions, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Producers, but the audience yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sean, I want to bring you in right now. Um, factual, obviously, unscripted has a huge remit, a breadth of genre. What what sort of things are you interested in 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 that within that? Because you know, factual documentary, natural history, lifestyle. People cooking, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. No, 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 that's a really good question because, again, Delaney's point, we're, we're, you know, we're so new uh, to, to, to the producers out here who are, who are coming to us. So the producers are sort of finding their feet a little bit with us. But I think from about May onwards, we had a really, I joined in March, just before March, and from about April, May onwards, we had a really clear, defined, unscripted strategy that we could go out to the marketplace with to brief out too, which is really paying you know, dividends for us now with the ideas that are coming through and, and the pieces that we're close to um, greenlighting. Um, and sort of a three-pronged attack that, that, that we have. So we really, the, the, the brief really was premium doc series, first and foremost. 
um, for a star. And then Disney Plus as well, premium premium series that can appeal to a broad family audience, really, but not feel you know childlike and kiddie. The David Beckham series that Joanna and 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 and, and Liam commissioned before before I arrived um, is a perfect example of that. You know, superstar attached to it will appeal to a wide range of people within the household who who watch it, young and old alike. But a really really clear idea at the heart of it that plays into all the key Disney values and attributes that you associate with with the brand. And that's great. And it's sort of there's a real element of documentary to it as well, which is brilliant. And um, so it's not just you know it's not a formatted piece. So it's it's really fantastic. But then in terms of star, we have a really clear, clearly defined what this premium doc series looks like for us. So there's three. I've bored. We've been briefing this out for a few a few months now, and you probably all heard this. So there's three key areas that we we you know, are looking for as our foundation pieces. Um, the first piece is that sort of holy grail, unscripted box set you know it's a premium you know it's a cultural ip it's finding those you know whether it be a sports story or a pop culture story or an access piece to just really exclusive but you know worlds and, and and people that you could never you know in your wildest dreams imagine you would get the access to that's what we're after ideally they would sustain a, a decent order size and, and be very very bingeable to, to to the audience at home um, and really stop you in your tracks as well and go oh wow we're finally getting a peek into this world or we're hearing that story um Second thing that we're looking for is um, we were getting pitched from literally day well, my first day with, with with Liam we were on a Zoom together and it was there were three meetings and they were all true crime true crime true crime you know you, you guys want to be edgy you want true crime and it's been like all right guys you know so um, so we just sort of went okay is true crime where we want to get into um, do we really want to pick up with you know another you know murdered body and take the story off from there I'm not so sure um, so we, we we sort of looked into the sort of touch points of those type of series and ultimately they're, they're human stories. And there's people at the heart of them, and there's twists and turns and real revelation with them as well. So we coined this phrase called unscripted thriller, um, which is finding those human stories. And it doesn't have to be in the world of crime. It can be in the, you know, it, it can be in the world of business. You know, medical is a really interesting area for us. How do you follow those stories um, that can feel again sustain a box set story, and you and you 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 really do invest in the characters throughout the series. So that's a biggie for us. I'm so quite shocked at how many ideas came in. To, uh, that you know, I thought that would be. We're briefing out that would be the one thing people weren't quite sure of, but actually, it's been really, really good. And an unscripted thriller can take many, many forms, which is really interesting. And then the third area we wanted to look at was something we're quite passionate about: was looking in the world of, you know, issues that really resonate with with, with a younger audience, but not necessarily doing the traditional. I'm famous person A, here's my story, you know, over 60 minutes, because that's kind of been done quite a bit. So it was really being inventive and innovative with how we approach those really deeply personal issues, you know, body image, mental health, sexuality, wider social political issues, you know, race, um, so social injustice. So it's, it's, looking, it's looking in that and, and really doing it in a way that ultimately what we want to do is, you know, you think about the, you think about the wide breadth of audience that can watch Disney Plus and really... You know, I see it with my own ten-year-old daughter now. She's, you know, she's she's lived the, the, the Disney life as a as, as a child, and now she's, you know, watching slightly older stuff. And you sort of think, okay, when she's sort of 15, 16, you know, when those kids really want to, you know, feel a bit bit on the outside or are a bit unsure, and they don't want to ask their parents about something, there might be a series on there that they can see themselves back in, um, in the issue space. So we sort of want to create a space that's that's comforting and a home to to, to many young people around the globe where they can actually see themselves you know, reflected back in, in, in Disney. And, and that's what we want with the sort of issue-based programming that we want. But we have to be really, really innovative and hard and on, on the ideas that come in. 
you know, a lot of people come in with a really famous person and they want to give you four days filming and they want to tell the story over 60 minutes and that. I mean, that's great, you know, but we just have to be a bit more, you know, turn of the wheel in that space because the next generation of, of, of kids coming through who want to see that content are, are so media savvy now and, 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 and get the content in many, way, many forms. So that's what we're really after as a sort of foundation pieces. But then equally, just for the producers in the room who don't work in that space, anything off menu is also really exciting when they come in and you go, oh, I wasn't thinking about that or I wasn't thinking about that space or that genre or that talent. Um, so the three, that's the foundation pieces, but please come to us with other ideas as well that, that may not sit, sit on there. It's not, it's not a closed shop. What about sort of formatted uh, reality dating shows, that kind of stuff? Reality, yeah, I mean, like... Um, we, like you know, as I say, we have the sort of foundation of the three area, key areas that we want, um, but I wouldn't rule out. It's re we're so in our infancy now that we have to get those pieces and build on them. But we're, you know, I wouldn't be going. I mean, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out. You know, never say say never. Um, we're not really in the market for sort of you know game shows, quiz shows. We, I mean, we get pitched a hell of a lot of you know Disney IP in the form of a of a game show or, or, or a quiz show, and that's not really where we're where, where we're at just yet. You know, we'd rather create something that feels very, and certainly in the UK and across all the local markets, something that feels very, very bespoke for that local audience and arresting ideas that make them want to stay on the service when, they, when they've done their Marvel or when they've done their Star Wars or they've done their Disney classics and also attract new subscribers as well. Whether that takes the form of a, of a dating show, whether it takes the form of a talent search, whether it takes the form of a baking <coughs> show, we don't know yet, but we've got a pretty clear steer on what we want in, in, in the first instance. Fantastic. I think um, just before we get into the sort of a, a deeper dive into some of the original shows, I'm getting some questions from, from the, the floor just to about the sort of deals that you'll, you'll be offering producers in terms of rights or territories, that kind of thing. Should we just wrap that up so that people know what the, what's on offer if they take a project to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, ideally we look to fully, fully own um, so that it's on the service. Anything that we commission uh, for Star here in Amia automatically plays on Hulu. Um, anything that we commission as Disney branded is on the service globally. So we're, we're looking to fully own the shows uh, so the deals will reflect that. Um, that's not to say we're not interested in co-productions or, or, or you know, pre-buys or anything like that. So, uh, you know, that would be looked at as well. But, you know... First and foremost, I think the priority is, is that full ownership, really. Excellent. I hope that answers the questions from the floor. Um, let's have a little look at some of these shows then. I'm, I'm interested in uh, some of the... Let's start with the UK originals. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, Wedding Season? Who wants to tell me about that? Joanna? Yes. Wedding Season is a difficult show to talk about because it's such a brilliant genre mashup and it does exactly what I was talking about before of giving you something a little bit different and not what you're expecting. So the show has come from Ollie Littleton. He's a young writer, but has absolutely knocked it out of the park with this show. It's, you know, big creation for him. Um, from Dancing Ledge, uh, run by Chris Carey and Jax Media in the States, who are co-producing with Dancing Ledge. Uh, and directed by George Kane. It stars Rosa Salazar um, and Gavin Dre as, as Katie and Stefan, two young people who are on the run together after Katie's wedding when there is a mass murder and Katie and Stefan are in the frame for it. They have to go on the run and figure out what's going on and who's to blame while people are coming after them. It's a sort of, um, when, we, when we ask everybody individually in the creative team how they describe it, it's really funny how many different answers you get back because it's, it's a romance, it's an action comedy, it's a thriller, it's this sort of joyful, as I say, joyful genre mashup. 
Um, we are, they still have a few more weeks of filming to go, but we've seen the first two episodes so far. It's laugh out loud funny, just an absolute romp of a show. It'll be launching next year and I think it's going to be a real treat. Excellent. I've got quite a long list of original productions here. I don't know if we'll get through all of them. Culprits? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's going to be a bit of a laundry list now. So, um, yes, Culprits is, the way I describe it is not a heist thriller. Because, <laughs> again, it's that thing of, you know, setting up an expectation, but then really kind of surprising audiences with, with what it turns out to be. So this has come from Jay Blakeson, who is the incredible writer and director behind um, I Care A Lot with Rosamund Pike. And if you remember a few years back, uh, The Disappearance of Alice Creed, which remains one of my favourite films of all time. I think it's so brilliant. Um, so Jay has this kind of signature way of telling a story, which is to set up an expectation and make you fully believe that you know what you're looking at. And then he kind of turns the kaleidoscope a little bit and everything changes and you suddenly realise that you didn't know at all what you were looking at. So the story... Um, the reason I call it not a heist show is because it's not about a heist. It's about what happens three years after a heist, when all of the culprits who were involved have scattered to the four winds, they're all living their lives, and they're not in touch with each other anymore. And then someone starts coming after them. They have to find one another again, figure out what's going on and who's coming for them, and neutralize that threat once and for all, if they're ever going to live the life that they hoped they would have when they committed the heist. So it stars Nathan Stewart Jarrett, and I, I really believe that when people see this, they're going to be wondering why Nathan Stewart Jarrett hasn't had that kind of standout yeah, yeah, lead yeah. role before. He is absolutely incredible. Just such a fine actor and just killing it in the show. Yeah. I think you've got something to announce about Extraordinary as well, haven't you? Yes, so I mentioned it before. So Extraordinary um, is from Sid Gentle Films, so that was the one that Sally sent us in a very diffident kind of this won't be for you, but it'll give you a laugh. You know, 48 hours later, we're all on the phone going, we want it, what do we have to do? So it's a half-hour comedy from Emma Moran, who is a brand-new creator. She'd done a little bit of writing for other shows before, but this is her first creation, um, uh, first original creation. And I think, as Liam was saying before, it actually didn't matter to us at all that, it, that she was a brand-new creator, because when we read that script, I mean, God, I, I laughed out loud. I, cr I genuinely cried tears. <laughs> <laughs> that first episode. And you just felt when you read it like you were in the hands of a storyteller who, you know, knew what she wanted to say about the world, to your point before, knew what she wanted to say and said it in such a distinctive voice that we felt like we just want to hang on and go on this ride with you. It was so brilliant. So, yeah, it started filming on Sunday blessed by the weather gods, because it's been extremely beautiful this week. Um, and yeah, we can announce the uh, directors and the cast today. So it's directed by Toby McDonald, who um, recently directed Ragdoll for AMC, and Jennifer Sheridan and Nadira Amrani, who's a fairly new uh, director. She recently did a, a pilot comedy for Channel 4, but she hasn't done very much before. And the cast, I'm really, I mean, this is a, a good example of um, a lot of the time people do wonder whether Disney will only commission from the likes of a Sally Wainwright or a, a Jay Blakeson, you know, that level of talent. But it's not true. When you look at something like Extraordinary and the way that we have absolutely thrown our weight behind Emma, you know, we're there for you if you are a, a brilliant voice and brilliant talent. And that is true of our cast as well, who are very young and very brilliant. So the, the show stars Mairead Tyres as Jen, um, a, a young woman who is who, who, sort of coming of age in a world where everybody develops a superpower on their 19th birthday. Everybody except for Jen. She's turning 25 and having to come to terms with the fact that all she'll ever be is ordinary. 
it's this incredibly funny, joyful story about, you know, what does it feel like when you're trying to navigate your path in life and figure out where you belong when, you know, you feel like you'll never measure up to the people around you. I think everybody in the world can probably relate to that feeling at some point in their lives. So Mairead is very young. She's not long out of drama school. She just brings the most instinctive um, comic ability to this role but again kind of like Emma's script she can turn on a dime from making you laugh out loud to then just proper emotional gut punches and making you cry yeah. alongside oh sorry do you want me to <laughs> I was, <laughs> can I, carry on I, I don't think we've got time to go through all of them but okay. I was going to I was going to ask about the the uh, the stuff coming out of, of Europe maybe Lee you want to talk us through some of the things that are being commissioned in in Europe uh, yeah, so there's uh, Ignorant Angels, uh, which is coming out of uh, from the Italian team, uh, and that is uh, based on uh, Furson Ospitek's um, uh, film, which uh, I think was out about 20 years ago, yeah. uh, Ignorant Fairies, and so the, 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 it's beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. So the, the, it's a story about a, a, a guy who is married and happily married, um, and also begins an affair with a guy, um, and then when uh, he, he dies, it's sort of brings these two people together but it also brings their worlds together and actually it's just a really really great great sort of setup that actually sort of it's just really really great character piece about just about relationships and about family and it's about love and it's just really really beautifully shot and the score is amazing and there's lots of shots of food and there's naked <laughs> bums which is quite nice um and it's just it's, it's just lovely it's just a really sort of lovely lovely journey a sort of character piece with sort of joy and love and i think you'll all just sort of fall in love with it um and then there's balenciaga which was announced recently uh which is the story of balenciaga uh which i think would be a really surprising story for everyone in terms of his background and where he came from um and that that should be a really sort of beautiful piece actually so um yeah i've heard the first one to launch on star is usukin out of france and france france have been have really hit the ground running in terms of uh, commissions but um it's a brilliant piece to be the first piece that we launched with because it's uh, it's such a well-told story. It stars Jaime uh, Bass uh, that you'll know from uh, Succession, um, and it, and is is about it's a true story of uh, um, a, a guy who was chased down by police uh, in the in the in the 80s and and killed, um, and it's it's about the repercussions of that event. Um, so it's 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 very moving, very powerful piece, uh, and something that will really have an impact both in the, in markets and and more broadly. Fantastic, a great little uh, snapshot of uh, what you're uh, working on. I've got some questions from the floor, which I'm going to try and tick off if that's okay. Someone's asked, um, who decides when it comes to Germany, France, and other parts of Europe? Now, obviously, you've got people in those countries. Do you want to just tell us who people should go to if they want to uh, pitch something from outside the UK? Yeah, so if, if, if there's an idea that, take uh, Germany, for example, if, if there's an idea that German talent, German writer, German producer, um, we, we have people in market that, I mean, feel free to come to us, but we will direct you to the people in, in market uh, that we have. So that are commissioning teams within each of the main European markets that we're operating out of. Um, and then, you know, that they will decide uh, whether they want to take it into development uh, and then we'll discuss it collectively as a, as a team and, uh, and, and take it from there. Yeah. 
Excellent. Because it's really important that the you know, the idea has to go to them because they need to make it. And it's like everything, you know, if you, if you, you, the, the people that are going to make it, they have to love it. They have to have a passion for it. So it's much more important that it comes to us via them rather than us taking projects to them. That's just not going to, that's not always going to work. Well, they're the experts within market. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. And it speaks to that strategy that we have of the importance of local relevance. You know, it's not about us saying what Europe needs. It's about local markets talking about stories that are meaningful to their own audiences, talent that is significant within their own market. So yeah, we'll, we'll always go to them first. Excellent. I've got another question here. Um, what's your approach to Disney classics in terms of new commissions, uh, such as remakes? Are they high or low priority? I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those never say never really for me. It's, I mean, we, we have in the, in the two years that I've been there, we have been pitched Disney, you know, IP or, or re reboots. Uh, I, it's not it, it's not a priority uh, at the moment. I think it's really important, given that we're relatively new, that we hit the ground running with with things that feel truly, you know, their own thing. You know, there's enough talent out there to be creating wholly original ideas um, that that we want to commission. So that's the area of focus, really. Obviously, if someone's got you know, an amazing idea that, that's got Disney IP at the, at the heart of it, then we're always open. But I think we're, we're more interested in wholly original ideas at the moment. Okay. And um, when it comes to sort of, you know, further down the road, when we're here next year, you might be talking about renewals of some of the shows that you've commissioned. What, what factors come into play uh, when, it, when you make those decisions? What, what counts as success, would you say, Liam? Um, well, it's it's about you know how how it's been received by the you know like at love every uh, network or service it's it's about how that program is received by the audience really so and that's not just bold audience figures it's it's you know engagement what people have felt about the show has it has it touched them in some way um, obviously we we want to you know. Get, have recognition for those shows so you know the, the whole awards thing is important to us as well but it's it's we take things absolutely in the round really so every everything will be judged on its own merits excellent one of the questions that we're asking a lot of commissioners and and networks is sort of um in what way they're providing opportunities for diverse new talent tell us tell us about that Liam. Yeah, so I mean, this is such such a big area, and and has got so many facets to it, uh, and is you know I should say first and foremost, it's it's hugely important to us because it's a huge responsibility, not just uh, for us representing Disney, but for the industry as a whole. Um, so you know, just I mean, we should talk about individual shows and what we've what we've done in in the short period that we've been there. But it's you know, if you take that on-screen and off-screen way in and, and, and you look at the shows that we've um, commissioned already really really important for us that uh, it's they are truly representative uh, that they're telling stories that reflect the audience back on themselves so that is I think you know we've we've done really well in that regard in the, in the short period of time that we've been there um, but then looking behind the camera and, and even looking at us as Commissioners think it's really, really important that you know we are a diverse team that we're not just all the same type, uh, and then the shows that we make, similarly that they are reflecting society as a whole. So, you know, I mean, I think I don't know whether it was Lee or Joanna always makes this point: is like, you know, why are we doing this? Because it makes the shows better. 
You know, that is fundamentally, you know, it's, it's really, really important that, uh, that we are reflecting the audience back on itself. So just talking about behind the camera, um, and that, that, is, that is an area that, you know, sometimes gets forgotten and absolutely shouldn't. It's a, it's a, it's a conversation right at the start of every commission that, that is, is fundamental to, to, to the creative discussion, to what we talk about as a team, to what we t talk to the producer about and what, what we need to do. So, you know, things like the writer's room, for example, uh, making sure that it's, it's reflecting different diverse voices. Um, if there's a story about a particular subject area or, or you know, uh, uh, genre that, that it's reflective of that, you know, in terms of the people um, either creating or, you know, behind the camera in the, in the production team uh, throughout. So, I mean, it might be worth just mentioning a couple of examples like Sam or um, Extraordinary, yeah. any, any that we do, really. So, I mean, we are so um, early in the process of commissioning that one of the benefits of that is we can be quite nimble and quite flexible about how we approach things. And one of the things I'm... Um, finding at the moment is that collaborating closely with producers and being able to kind of um, change our approach in every production and make sure that we're doing things that feel right for that show and for those producers, I think has been really useful as a learning exercise. I mean, Sam a Saxon is a really interesting project. So that's from um, Jörg Winger in Germany. It's the story of Sam Meffier, the first black police officer in East Germany. It's his true story of what happened to him before and after the wall came down. Um, it's a it's incredible, um, incredible sort of biopic. But the the hiring for that has been a really interesting process because a lot of the time we focus on entry level, you know, widening access and creating training opportunities for crew. But on that one, the real focus that they had, the producers had, was how do we step up mid career technicians into those HOD roles when very often it is difficult to get out of that tier of your career. So the way that they've done it is in a paired hiring scheme where they put mid-level technicians into HOD roles, but they pair them with somebody who does have experience at that level. So that it's you know the new person who's, who's carrying out that role, but there's a bit of a safety net and a bit of a sense of mentoring so that you don't feel like you're just kind of thrown to the lions and having to do it all for the first time. So I think that's going to be a really, really interesting um, process to see how all of that works. So you can see it, it does vary by territory, it varies by production, but right now we're, we're definitely in a phase of we are absolutely open to finding ways to make this work and to supporting the efforts of producers to make sure that those crews are really diverse. Fantastic. Uh, just going back to the questions from uh, the floor, I've got one for you, Sean. I think I can probably guess the answer to this one. Would you consider <laughs> format reboots that were previously hits on linear broadcasters? Uh, uh, I mean, <clears throat> pro 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 probably not. You know, like, uh, the, the brief really is, you know, premium doc, doc series. We definitely def Deborah Toe and uh, maybe entertainment or, 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 or formats in, in, in the future as, as a wider piece, but... Well, I look at it as you know, you sort of only really going to get one opportunity at a first impression, really. You know, your sort of first big, big slate coming out, and you know, I'm not really in the market at the minute for 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 reboots. If I'm being to to totally honest, so um, I'd be wasting. I think I'd be wasting your time. But let, let's you know, talk in a year, year or two. Let's just build the initial slate first and foremost, and and, and see where we are. Thanks for that. Um, there's a lot of questions about sort of other territories. What? What other territories uh, and languages is Disney Plus commissioning for and intending to commission for? What are the c countries slash languages of priority? 
I think that's one for you, Liam, isn't it? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th I think we're in. Um, uh, if I've got this right, uh, uh, 60 markets with uh, 20 different languages at the moment, and the aim is to uh, double that uh, over the next uh, couple of years. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving. We, we want to be uh, available, you know, as, as widely as possible. So, um, yeah, as, 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 um, CEE and uh, Middle East and Africa are, are the next ones to launch into. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking to move into as many territories as possible. And in terms of bringing projects to you, what stage is, is the best stage to bring a project to you? When it's just a script, when it's got some talent attached? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, 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 when I get asked that a lot by producers now I always throw it back to them and say like you know whenever you think it's it's ready so um I mean look we we, we spend a lot of time reading scripts so more more than happy to uh, to take scripts or, but we do pay for development as well and we have we have put uh, ideas into the script where someone's you know said ex writer really passionate about a particular subject area what do you think we've gone oh god there's something in that you know let's let's develop it together um so uh, it's it's it, it it is that conversation and and what works best uh, i mean we do like to go on a bit of a a journey with producers so you know you don't have to feel as if you know talent has to be attached in terms of on screen or directors you know we can work with you in that regard but uh, yeah it's it's a, it's about the the conversation really together isn't it I think for the Disney branded I find that it's easier the earlier the better actually because Disney is such a particular tone a particular kind of storytelling that I think we can tell quite early on if the idea has legs for Disney or not so rather than go to the you know effort and expense of developing a whole script on your own and then bringing it to us it's probably better to talk to us early on okay. but for start yeah absolutely I mean anything goes really and the pitching process for unscripted sure yeah um so for me it's I, I really do prefer you know when you know face to face obviously zoom of, of of late just to sort of be in the room together and to be talking about the idea together the one thing that doesn't really do it for me is when like you know a, a 20 page pdf lands in you know because it's, that's quite binary then, this is what the idea is, and it feels like there's not really a lot of wiggle room and, and, and the producers are quite wedded to what, what they're pitching. So I'd rather people came in, started an early conversation with us, listen to the brief, what we're briefing out for, what we're after. If you've got something totally off menu that doesn't fit in with the brief, just be transparent and upfront with that to begin with. Um, and then we can see each other a lot of time. Um, so yeah, so for me really, it's just you know, having that initial spark of a conversation. And then I can sort of ask a lot of the questions that I think Liam might ask me whenever I go in to pitch it to him. <laughs> um, so uh, I, it's just a little bit of a, sh a shortcut, or I can tell you to sort of shape the proposal in this way, or shape the taster tape in, in that way, or bring X talent on screen or, or, uh, or off screen. So um, yeah, so really for me, it's it's really an initial conversation. Let's just see see what's up. Very, very rarely has something landed in that's watertight, here's a 20-page deck. Do you want to go and make it? It's very rare that that happens in any commissioning gig, really. I think, um, and certainly even in less likely now that we're we're so new and trying to create something really special with with, with D Plus and, and, and Star. I think the other thing as well is because you know, as we were sort of saying earlier, because we are new and you know, quite a lot of producers out there are just kind of sort of gauge what is the right show for us, what kind of stuff we would commission, and also our slate is growing, so there's a lot more stuff that's already in development. There's a lot of stuff that's in the local markets. There could be stuff that's coming over from FX or Hulu and all that sort of stuff. So if you're not sure, 
just bug an email, like top line of an idea, because we could very, very quickly go, do you know what, that's just not going to be right for us, or we've got something that's too similar so we wouldn't develop that. It's much better to, if you just want to kind of a bit of a steer, really, really happy to do that, rather than you sort of send beautiful sort of treatments and documents and you just know in the first paragraph, you'd be like, oh, no, we can't do that. So if you're not sure, just ask us. And just to wrap up, uh, Liam, once the pitch happens, tell us about the, the process to get in a green light, if you could... What, what hoops do people have to go through? Um, well, I mean, if it's scripted, then it, it, it goes to script and it, it, it's, uh, you know, there are various iterations of that. You know, we might, we, if, it, if, if we've got a, a pilot script that's come in that we feel quite excited about, we might say, well, let's see where this goes. Let's have a second script. Or we might kind of, you know, rework that pilot script with revisions down the line. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a journey you go on together. It's, it's, it's a constant. I mean, these guys, you know, do it day in, day out. They're, they're, they're talking to the producers, uh, you know, along the way about, you know, what, what, what works, what doesn't. And, you know, it's a, it's a collaborative uh, endeavour, really. Uh, you know, but you know, from from first stage pitch, you know, we, we want to move it as quickly as possible. But uh, you know, want want to give it also give it the right time to kind of make sure it's uh, it's going to be right. I think we are pretty nimble about this. Our slate isn't huge, and deliberately so. You know, when we put something into development, it's because we really believe that it can make it through to green light. So it's not, you know, 700 things on the slate. It's sort of two or three to every commission, right? So I think that's important that we maintain that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we, we can be really quick. I think we got wedding season in, like, February of this yeah. year, and we were filming in August. So, you know, it can be a very, very quick process when we really fall in love with something. Fantastic. Well, I think I've run out of time, um, I'm afraid. There's plenty of questions that I haven't had a chance to uh, ask from the Slido. Um, so um, all that remains for me uh, to do is to thank the panel, thank Liam, Joanna, Lee and, and Sean uh, for their time and insights, and to thank you guys for your time and your questions. Thank you very much. Liam Keelan, Johanna Devereaux, Lee Mason and Sean Doyle speaking with Ed Waller as part of C21's Content London. That's all for this episode. The podcast will be back in the new year. In the meantime, we wish you a very happy festive season and all the best for 2022. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.